Uh, well, this morning, uh, we have the privilege to have uh, Pastor Brandon Woodard uh, preach from God's Word. Brandon and I met, what, like eight years ago at a, in St. Louis. It all makes sense, you know, in St. Louis and, yeah. And uh, at an Acts 29 event, Brandon at the time was working at Fellowship Memphis, which was a church that was a part of um, the church planning residency I went through. So we were just two young guys with a lot of dreams. And, uh, and Brandon at the time, or recently had been on the track uh, team at Ohio State. So he's fast. Um, you want to have a foot race? I think I still got it. Wait, you, you just set me up for failure. Um, and Brandon right now is planting a church in Cincinnati, Reconcile. And so they're in the uh, kind of core group gathering phase, uh, haven't begun their weekly worship gatherings, and so really excited uh, to explore partnership and friendship with Brandon and their church. And he's married to Kristen, and they have four amazing kids that I hope are having a blast downstairs. Uh, Brooklyn, uh, Brandon, uh, uh, Braxton, and Braylon. Seven years and under. So seven. Oh, oh, Brooklyn's five? Oh, five and under. Wow. We don't want to take away that extra two years. So we'll be praying for you guys. Um, so I'm going to read our passage this morning, and then uh, let's give uh, Brandon a warm welcome as he comes up. Our passage is in James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25. James 1, verses 22 to 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is God's word for the people of God. Let's welcome Brandon. Well, good morning. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Okay, I see we're a little, we're still kind of uh, recovering from that blowout win a couple days ago, I see. Well, yesterday, of course. So uh, it is exciting to be here with you all. Um, again, wow, this mic is hot. I love it. So I don't have to work that hard. Um, but again, I'm thankful to be here. Uh, thankful uh, for your pastor uh, more than he knows. Uh, so some eight years ago, like he said, I was just a, a young seminarian thinking that, man, I can go church plant and, you know, thousands of people are going to come. Um, but of course, life happens and you realize that church planting is a lot harder than what you anticipated. But the Lord has been gracious. And one of the things that's been amazing is since coming back, one of the first people who called me when I was coming back to Cincinnati was your pastor. And he wanted to talk and get coffee. I've been to Columbus a couple times, and it's just been a joy to hear his heart, uh, not only for you all, but for the city. Um, and it's just been such um, a breath of fresh air to know that I have a brother that's right up the street that's doing some amazing work. And so would you be so kind to uh, put your hands together for your pastor, who is one of my good friends, Pastor, pastor Jay. 
And to his lovely wife, thank you for put, letting, putting him out on loan, because I know how it is uh, being a pastor's wife, and so we're thankful for you. Um, I am married, and I think we're slightly crazy, uh, but my lovely wife is here, uh, Kristen, and we do have those four amazing kids. We almost thought, y'all, that we weren't going to make it. We woke up, you know how you hit the alarm, and then you kind of roll back over. Well, we hit the alarm, and somebody hit cancel, so there was no snooze, and so there was this moment where we were like, four kids, get them dressed, get in the car and drive. We may not make it, but the Lord was, the Lord was gracious, and so needless to say, we are excited to be here. The passage was already read to us in James chapter 1. I'm sure if you've been in church even one Sunday, if you've been to Sunday school at least two Sundays, you've probably heard this passage before. It's one of those passages of Scripture that you kind of don't forget about. You know what I mean? It's just one of those type of things. But I hope and pray that as we talk about engaging God's mission, uh, that it would be one that would catapult us uh, into doing the work that the Lord has called us to. And so I want to pray, and then we will jump right into it. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have this morning to hear from you. Lord, we don't take it for granted, this opportunity to come into this place collectively not only to sing praises to you, but to hear from you through your word. And so, Father, I ask and I pray that you would remove every hindrance that may uh, be impeding us to hear from you today. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts and our ears so that we would be able to hear uh, what it is that you would want for us to do. Convict us where it is appropriate, Lord, and allow us to receive all again that amazing forgiveness that only took place because of what Jesus Christ has done. And so be with us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. There are life-altering moments that happen in history. Distances that are covered, that literally change the trajectory of history. There are events that take place throughout time that have literally changed how we do life. And the thing that's underlying all of these, again, is this distance that was traveled. And so if I was to say 238,900 miles, it may not mean much to you. Just a really, really long trip. But that was the distance that was covered in July 20th, 1969, when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon. Distances traveled, history rewritten, 1,200 miles. Many of us would hear this, and we would think that that's just us going to vacation somewhere nice. But 1,200 miles would have been the average distance that a slave would have traveled along the uh, Underground Railroad to get their freedom. Distances traveled. History changed. 54 miles. About the same distance it takes to get to Washington Courthouse so that you can go shopping. But did you know that 54 miles, this, this allotment of miles has, is, is one of the most um, detailed uh, group of miles that could ever be traversed. There are movies that have been made about this distance being covered. You do know that me standing here today is a direct result of 54 miles being traversed. 
because that was the amount of distance that it took for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and the Civil Rights Movement people to march from Selma to Montgomery. Distances traveled, history rerouted, and we all are benefits to it. How are you doing today? But I would believe, and I would surmise, that there are, there, there's another distance that needs to be traveled. There's a distance that I believe if, if Paul was here, if, if James was here, if Jesus was here, he would tell us that this is the most important distance that we could ever traverse. If we truly want to see society changed, if we truly want to see what Jesus talked about in his prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, there we go, my brother. There's a distance that needs to be traversed. And it doesn't have to happen for one of us. It has to happen for all of us. 18 inches. One foot, six inches. That's the distance between your head and your heart. If you truly want to see kingdom work take place, you and I got to do some, some traveling. The gospel can't just stay up here. Because if it stays up here, it will never, ever, ever fully get your hands. And what James is getting at today is this idea of saying, listen, uh, there were a group of people that loved knowledge. They, they loved to hear things and never do anything with it. We called them Pharisees. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. And what James is saying is we don't need any more of them. We don't need any more ivory tower believers who can pontificate on the deep truths of theology. And hear me, I love good theology. But what James is saying is we need some old, some shoe leather Christians. Shoe leather Christians meaning that, that, they, that they actually take what they hear and do something about it. We don't need any more spiritual bench warmers. James is getting at this reality that in order for us to truly see gospel mission take place, we got to move. We got to move. The gospel has to move from our heads to our hearts because here's the truth of the matter. If the gospel gets your heart, it'll get your hands. This is important for us. But now I know, you hear a message like this. You hear that we're supposed to do something. And something inside of your soul kind of starts to jump. Because you've read your Bible. You read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 and, and, and 4 through 10. And you know exactly what it says. That you've been saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that no man may boast. Uh-oh, we have a problem, James. Because, James, you're telling us that, that we need to be doers. But Paul is telling us that, that, that hey, look, we, we, work, we work from approval, not for it. And so we have to do some legwork here. What we have to understand to be true is that faith always precedes action. Or to say it another way, relationship always precedes action. This is what he's getting at. If you have come to the foot of the cross, 
and you've understood fundamentally what happened in that moment, that Jesus Christ, as one of my colleagues would say, put on a human suit and came down and lived the perfect life and died in your place and for your sins. It wasn't when you were at your best, but it was at your worst, according to Romans chapter 5. It was in that moment that Jesus said, I want them. And he got up on the cross and allowed creation to hang him. And he died. But then three days later, we see that the check is cleared and he rose with all power in his hands. And we see in that moment that sin is forgiven, that you are now able to have a right relationship with God. He's saying, if this is the reality, your heart should be enraptured. You should be moved horizontally. Pastor Brian Loretz is a pastor at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church in Palo Alto, California. That's Silicon Valley. He wrote a book called The Cross-Shaped Gospel. I remember when he was writing that book. He used to always tell us, look, man, if you really want to see people move, they have to understand the implications of the gospel. There's a, there's a vertical reality, and there's a horizontal reality. Hang in there with me. I'm coming to your neighborhood. Vertically, we understand that Jesus Christ died in our place and for our sins, that now we have a relationship with God. But now because of that vertical reality, there's some horizontal implications. If you truly want to see if someone is following Jesus, that they've had this genuine relationship change, he says, look at their hands. This is what James is getting at. In essence, what James is telling us this morning is that if we want to see gospel mission played out in Columbus, if we really want to see lives changed by the power of the gospel, believers have to act on their faith. It's real simple, y'all. But in order for you to understand that, you have to understand that you're not doing this to earn God's favor. You're, you're not going out and, 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 and attending the class to understand and be equipped to engage with immigrants in a loving way because you're trying to white knuckle your faith. Like, ah, if I just do this, God will love me more. No, it's because God loved me so much, I get to do this. I, I get to take part in this invitation gospel mission. And so this morning, I want to look at three aspects of this type of faith. I want to show you from James's passage here the importance of us moving from purely talking about gospel mission to acting in gospel mission. And so first, look at verse 22 with me. As we come to verse 22 again, what we need to know, first point, is simply this. The true faith isn't just intellectual assent. He says this, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now, scholars are agreed. James would have been writing to people who loved knowledge. Now, Jewish people back in those days, I don't know if you know anyone who is Jewish. But when they were younger, they had to memorize the first five books of the law and recite it. They knew a lot. And not only that, when they were dispersed, they, they began to pick up some of the customs of the people. 
And what we know during this time was that the Roman rule was present. And what we know about the Romans is they loved people who were smart. In fact, they loved them so much that they would build these huge edifices for the really, 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 really smart people to come and just talk about what they know. Like, this is what they did. For fun, you would go into a coliseum and you would listen to them pontificate. It's crazy, right? Instead of coming to a concert, you're listening to two guys debate. And here's the deal. Most of the time, these guys, these scholars, all they did was debate. And what's happening in this moment is that these Jews who are now coming to the foot of the cross and making that decision to follow Jesus, they're allowing these customs to permeate their walk with the Lord. And so they're thinking, well, we got right theology, so we good. And James is smashing that on the head like, no, 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 that's not a good indicator that you are truly saved. It's not an indicator that the gospel will continue to permeate just because you opened up your mouth. You have to act. Because here's the deal, and this is crazy. You moonwalk back in your scriptures to the gospel of Matthew. Jesus is talking to some Pharisees. And you know what he says right around Matthew chapter 7? There's going to be some people that are going to say, Lord, Lord. And he's going to be like, I don't know you. I, I knew all of this stuff. And Jesus is going to say, okay. Who you? Because the reality of the matter is this. There are going to be a lot of people who can quote a lot of scripture, who can argue you up and down, who may find themselves in a place that they never thought they would be. And that's in hell. There has to be more to this. There has to be more than just purely intellectual assent. What James is getting at in this moment is to tell us in so many words, do something with it. Do something with it. And this is important for us in evangelical circles. We love our Bible studies. I was in Memphis for nine years, y'all, 10 years. We love our Bible studies. We love reading books. And I'm not anti-intellectualism. We love conferences. We love to debate on Facebook and social media about why we should be doing what we should be doing. And that stuff has its place. Jesus is getting at, what, what James is getting at is that if you truly want to see change, move. Move. Because if we really pray this prayer that Jesus prayed, you know the prayer most of you football players would, would pray before you go out in a game. You know the Lord's Prayer, right? You know, we always would say that or in any sporting event. And there's that line. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we've really had that true experience and our heart is filled by what Jesus Christ has done, then, man, we're not waiting for heaven to get a multi-ethnic experience. One part of gospel mission is that, man, your relationships change. You start meeting with people and getting to know people, not because you have to, but because you get to, because you get a foretaste of what happens in heaven. 
You're not waiting until that moment. I, I know it's touchy. I know that there are so many injustices in the world, and we naturally just, we naturally seem to, to be paralyzed. We don't want to move. But if we've truly had that experience, we understand that the ultimate act of justice happened on the cross. That Jesus saw the injustice of what sin had done on your behalf and said, I will do something about it. And it should so enrapture us. It should so entangle our hearts that we say, you know what? Just like the prophet Micah in Micah chapter 6, verse 4, when he says, look, do justice. Walk humbly and, and, and love the people. We, we would step towards the injustices of our city. Not because we have to, not because we know that we, but because we get to. But not only when you think of gospel mission, you think of those big things, right? You, you were thinking that I was going to go multi-ethnicity, right? You just knew black guy, multi-ethnic church. He's going to weave that in. But you do know that part of gospel mission is you actually forgiving people who have wronged you. You do know that a part of gospel mission is actually giving of your time, talent, and treasure. You do know that it is you being a good steward. You do know that it means that you should be loving those who society deems unlovable. It's not just about knowing about doing something. It's about actually doing it. There's a poet by the name of Cars. You can find his spoken word piece on YouTube, and I would encourage you to listen to it at some point. It's entitled, Does Anyone Know That You Are a Christian? And he goes through this long list of things, and he's getting at this refrain, does anyone know that you're a Christian? And he asks these two questions that have stuck with me to this day. He says, does anyone know that you're a Christian by your actions? Or does everyone think you're a Christian because you're acting? It's not just intellectual assent. But then secondly, this type of faith, if we're really going to go into this idea of gospel mission, knowing that our heart should be enraptured, there's something that's beautiful about taking that step of faith. Secondly, it changes you. It changes you. Look at verses 24, part of 23 and 24. I'll read it for you. It says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. Now, now I'll cut across the field because, you know, 30 minutes to a black preacher is like, whew. Um, but I love you, Jay. What he's getting at is this idea. If you use a mirror, you're acting on faith. You know that, right? When you look in a mirror, you have to trust that the reflection that you see is accurate, right? Ladies, you get this, right? So you, you put on your, 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 your outfit, you're looking nice, and then you start to do what? Put on makeup. Now, now and if you don't use a mirror, there could be some some issues, right? right? The, the, the tones could be mixed up. Let's say you're, you're putting on some eyeliner and you may miss. And so you go to the mirror for an accurate depiction. And based off of the 
trust that you have in that reflection, you then make changes. But not only that, you look back in the mirror again, I look good, and you act on faith by leaving. And what James is saying is the person who looks in the mirror and doesn't trust what he sees, doesn't look at it long enough, they're inefficient. There's this spiritual um, dynamic that takes place when you look into the Word of God. There's this opportunity for for the Holy Spirit to uh, use the text to show you who you truly are. But not only that, we have to respond in faith, acknowledging that, yeah, that's me. I don't forgive well. Man, I, I don't... I don't trust people like that. I gossip a little bit. And as you see that reflection, then the spiritual exercise for you is to act on faith, to ask the Holy Spirit to say, if this is an accurate depiction of me, Holy Spirit, fix me. But not only that, the next thing is, Lord, give me an opportunity to flesh out what true forgiveness looks like. It's when you leave from looking in the mirror and you actually take the steps of faith to say, now, Lord, give me the opportunity to see if I got it. Give me the opportunity to see if this took root. That's you acting in faith. And as you do that, you're changed. One of the beautiful passages, Dr. Robert Smith Jr. always said that for every New Testament point, there is a gospel picture or there's an Old Testament picture. The picture of this is the the story in Luke where Jesus is walking by and there are some lepers sitting on the outskirts of town. And as they're sitting on the outskirts of town, they see Jesus and they automatically respond, unclean, but save us, unclean, but save us. And Jesus looks at them and says, Go to the temple. You're healed. But here's the deal. They didn't get healed until they started walking towards the temple. And this is crazy because what you knew about lepers was that they always had to stay outside of the gates. Because if they walked toward the city, they had the opportunity to get everybody infected. But they walked in faith. And as they walked, you know what the text says? Scales started falling off of their hands and off of their body, so that by the time they got to the temple, they were truly clean. The invitation to gospel mission is also simultaneously an invitation to sanctification. Some of the ways that the Lord will push you out of the ship is to allow you the opportunity to be transformed from what he shows you in the word. Hopefully that makes sense. The question then becomes for us, if we were to canvas our lives, have we seen change? But maybe a better question. What if you trusted what the the Lord is showing you in the scriptures? And what if you took him up on the opportunity to be a part of gospel mission? How would your life change? How would those around you change? 
I used to be a personal trainer at some point in my life. I have many different things I've done. One of the joys that I've always had is that first interaction with a client. They come to me and tell me that they want to lose all of this weight. And so usually what I do is I take them over to a mirror and I outline their silhouette. And then I ask them, so how much weight do you want to lose? Because usually that's what it is. I want to lose 40, 50, 60 pounds. And so I'll take them back over to that same silhouette. And I will start to write on the inside of that silhouette and tell them, okay, if you want to lose 50 pounds, this is about what you would look like if you did it. And then I tell them, every month, we're going to stand right back in this mirror. And my goal is to get you to look like the inner person, not the outer one. But they have to do some stuff as, as they leave. Meaning that they got to eat some foods that they probably don't want to eat. They're going to have to run some miles or walk or do some uh, uh, exercises that they're not really that comfortable with. But over time, if they stay true to it, they'll come back to that mirror and they'll be spot on that inner person that they were longing for. That's what James is getting at. If you were to look into this perfect law, allow the Lord to do what only the Lord would do, allow the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do, there will be a transformation that will take place. Not that you will become perfect. That's not going to happen until Jesus comes back and says, be glorified, but you will be conformed into the image of our God. And so it changes you. But then lastly, the beautiful thing is, true faith results in a blessing. Now, if I was in a chocolate church and I said that, we'd be jumping over tables. We'd be excited. A blessing. But it's true. Check out the text. Look at verse 25. Look at what it says. It says, but the one who looks into the law the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now follow me. If the gospel has made that journey from your head to your heart, and you truly have this heart changed, that God, man, God loves me so much. I get to do these things. And you start to actually act on faith, some blessings attached to that. Now, when we think about it, you automatically thought you was going to get a car, or you're going to get that boo. Now, I don't know if that is exactly what he's saying, but there are blessings. One of the things that he says in it that is uh, remarkable is that when he gets to this idea, he says that they look into the perfect law. There's this lingering in the perfect law. I, I won't go back so far because I just covered that part, but, but there's this sense that they're constantly going back to the Word of God to see more and more of what the Lord would require of them and to see just the beauty of who He is and what He has done. And they constantly go back here. They constantly go back here. Constantly go back here because it's worth, it's, the Word is trustworthy. So they're not going to any other thing. They're just acting on what the scriptures are telling them. But then it says that it's a law of liberty. And here's where the blessing, blessing entails. Everything in the midst of, in the middle of, of the garden was good for, for Adam and Eve. As long as they stayed in there, blessings were there. So do your job, Adam. 
There was a blessing. As long as he stayed in the parameters of, the, of, the, of, of Eden, he was good. And the parameter literally was, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil. Th- th- there's freedom there. You do know that there's freedom in the scriptures. I know we come to the scriptures and we think rules, regulations, do, don't, do, don't, do, don't. But there's so much that the Lord says, hey, man, if you just do this, you good. You, have you ever prayed this prayer? Lord, just show me more of your glory. You know what's crazy? He will answer that one a hundred times and twice on Sunday. Help me to be more loving. I ain't got no problem with that. But it's Satan's plan to get you to think that coloring outside of the lines and to focus on the boundaries, to think that, man, you know what? You're, you're missing something. And so one of the ways that he will derail you from gospel mission is to tell you that, man, this ain't supposed to be fun. Go do X, Y, and Z. What Jesus ain't telling you, that's where fun really is at. And James is saying, man, it's liberty there. It's beauty there. There's blessing there. You want to know the true blessing that you get when you're, you take that invitation to gospel mission, when you actually act on faith? You get a front row seat to see the Holy Spirit do some of the most amazing things in the entire world. Have you ever sat and watched someone put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ? It is one of the most beautiful things that ever takes place because in that moment, you see a person who was literally going left, destined for for eternal separation, right? And they make a decision to say, I want to follow Jesus. And just like all of the heavens are rejoicing, you get a front row seat to see the Holy Spirit work that thing out. 